I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down! Hey, hello everybody. I'm John Taffer. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Thank you for being with us. I think we got a really special show today. So stick around. We're going to be talking about some very, very important things. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we've opened Taffer's Tavern. It's doing great, right? We're, we're working on a frozen food line. And, and every time you hear the word safety, technology seems to be involved in it. It does, yeah. yeah. And now you hear about how conventions are stopping down and technology is creating virtual conventions. Right. And then we talk about how we can't go to meetings anymore, Corey. We haven't used our conference room in our office in, what, nine months? <laughs> yeah. We all yeah. haven't sat there together. So Zoom has stepped to the table, and Microsoft Teams has stepped to the table. And, you know, it's, it's one breath you would say, boy, technology is trying to solve our problems. Yeah. Pretty noble thought. Right. On the other breath, you could say technology is trying to shut the convention business down. Yeah. Technology is trying to eliminate the needs for business travel. Mm -hmm. That if technology facilitates its objective, we will be with each other less, we will go to less places, and there's the we will have less conventions and meetings, and the impact on society becomes what? So I wonder. And I've talked about this before when I was on the Zuckerberg podcast about how, you know, as one who's in the convention business and one who's in the restaurant business and the travel business, how replacing these industries with a virtual world is scary to me. And, and how, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm all for technology and technology growth is, is wonderful. I can remember when computers were invented when I was a little kid. And my father would say, oh, everybody's going to lose their job because of computers. But they didn't. Right. It created a whole different industry. And nobody lost their jobs because of computers. That didn't happen. And then they said, oh, everybody's going to lose their jobs because of robots and factories and technology. Everybody's going to lose. But, you know, 10 months ago before the pandemic, we had the lowest unemployment in our history. So that didn't happen either, did it? Right. Yeah, no. So in essence, uh, computers didn't take away jobs. It created a new industry. Robotics didn't take away jobs. It created a new industry. So when you think about these things and do they really have an impact on taking jobs, this does. This does. Now, when you eliminate conventions and eliminate travel and eliminate these things and, and, and start to reduce the size of those industries, that's profound because the hospitality industry is the largest non-government employer in the country. So when we start screwing around with that, Corey, I mean, we're screwing around with the economic engine that wow. drives all of us. Right. So imagine if conventions are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% less than they were. Think about how that impacts the unions in Vegas, the convention center here, Chicago, Miami, New York, LA, all of these cities, how it impacts the restaurants, all the convention people, the setup people, the airlines, the airports, the restaurants. In the, I mean, profound impacts we're facing right now. And, you know, when, when, when I think of all of this, uh, uh, I worry, what are the trends of technology? Mm -hmm. I remember six months ago in a restaurant industry, maybe it was eight months ago, that the federal government or whoever monitors payment systems changed the technology for credit card transactions. So on a certain date, I think it was January last year, whatever the date was, on a certain date, your cash register system could no longer do a credit card transaction. Hmm. It had to have the update to be able to do that. Oh, gotcha. So now imagine this. You own a POS system in a restaurant, 
right? You got to upgrade your system. As of in, in such and such a day, you're not going to be able to take credit cards. And a software company charges you $10,000 for the upgrade. <laughs> so now you're freaking stuck. Either yeah. I can't accept transactions on January 10th, or I got to pay $10,000 for an upgrade. Wow. Well, that's one of the reasons why I partnered with Shift4 back then, because Shift4, all their POS brands didn't do that. They did it all for free. But my point is this. I'm held hostage by these credit card processes and these transactions. And then I look at the delivery business in a restaurant industry. And now we're being held hostage by DoorDash and all of these delivery services. And then I look at all the online payroll services and how we're held hostage right, by their systems and their procedures. And all of these industries now sort of hold other industries hostage and force them into doing business. It's almost a little predatory. Sounds and, like it. <laughs> and I look at COVID and, you know, if I charged you 10 times more for a mask during COVID than I did before COVID, that would make me an ass, would it not? Right, which a lot of people are, though. I, I agree <laughs> with you, but, but I, I, too many, Corey. But, yeah. So what if I create a technology that I know is going to reduce your income, induce your, 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 your future in some way, and I exploit it during COVID. Is that different? No, not really. It isn't, is it? No. I'm still exploiting COVID yeah. to make a change that could be long-term, have a negative impact on society. So right. I think this is a different time than when computers were introduced or when robotics were introduced. You know, I look at Taffer's Tavern. We put, you know, computerized systems. you got to spend a good amount of time there. Mm -hmm, yep. But at the end of the day, we have almost the same amount of employees we did before. Yeah. And we have technology teams and different jobs and, and different positions. But at the end of the day, everybody won on this deal. They didn't lose. I worry. And the other thing I worry about big time is not only artificial intelligence and software and all of these shifts that are happening when the marketplace is weak. I'm worried about digital currency big time. Ah, okay. Imagine this. Imagine that you have a, a wallet in your phone, a digital wallet, and all your money is digital. And you can't buy a pack of gum in a store without it being a digital transaction. You can't buy a car without it. You can't do anything without it being a digital transaction. So now the government or whomever knows everything you do, everything you buy, could they then tell you, you can't buy this kind of car, you have to buy that kind of car? Technically. Yeah. Can they start to regulate transactions then? Yeah. So what is the impact to us on digital currency? The Chinese government just launched a digital currency. Do you worry about their motives, Corey? Because I sure the hell do. Yeah, I'm not a big, big China fan. So when you think about digital currency and what that means to us with regard to protecting our money, protecting our privacy, protecting our retirements making sure that we can all stay in business together, protecting the value of the dollar so it doesn't crash, waking up in the morning and knowing that if I had $10 in the bank when I went to sleep last night, that $10 is still there. And if I don't have dollars, if I have widgets, digital widgets, what the hell is that? And can I count it? Can I hold it in my hand? Does the government stand behind it? What's the value? I mean, I'm led to believe that the federal government has Fort Knox and there's gold in Fort Knox and that gold <laughs> supports the dollar bill that I hold in my hand. Who the hell is supporting digital currency? So it's a big deal, and none of us are thinking about it, and it's happening right now. Well, Mark Paschke is a good friend of this podcast and a friend of ours. He's been on here before. He's one of the world's leading trendist, futurist, author, entrepreneur, and innovator. 
He's been at the forefront of the digital revolution for 35 years, and he's a sought-after keynote speaker for major conferences and leadership gatherings. He brings a lot of clarity to all of these digital products and digital strategies and where they're going, and he has incredible insight. So he knows virtual reality, education, finance, manufacturing, transportation, communication, and lately he's become one of the experts in digital currency and the fears of digital currency. Well, one thing I know, Corey, is COVID is changing our world technically. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. There, there are programs that are going to track you, watch you, inform you, educate you, move you, et cetera, that all, many have been developed during COVID and with a code of motivation. Well, I wanted to get Mark back on the show. It's been almost a year since he's been here, and he's one of our most popular guests, to talk about what does this mean to us? What does technology mean to our businesses, to our personal lives? What does digital currency mean to us? What do I need to know to protect myself? Because we can't be ignorant about this anymore. This is a big deal. So when I come back, I'm going to be with my favorite trendist, Mark Peschke. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. So, yeah. Mark, as you know, you are my favorite futurist, and uh, it's just thrilled to have you back, buddy. Thank you so much, Sean. So we haven't spoken in about a year. Yep. I believe was the last time we were together, and and we talked about so many trends. And but now a year later, post COVID, I'm guessing, man, there is so much to talk about. And I, as one, am so interested in a couple of big things. One. As, one, as being here in Las Vegas, the convention center like we are, how technology is invading the convention space with virtual events and virtual technology. Then I look at the restaurant space, how delivery systems and transactional software and all of this is now so taking over the restaurant space. And then I look at every aspect of life and it's almost anytime I hear the word safety, technology is connected to it. And then I think about what's going on with digital currency and stuff, Mark, which I knew you are a big expert in. So update me, buddy. First of all, what do you see happening in, in the uh, uh, digital industries trying to take over event-based and, and physical-based events? So the thing that we're now seeing is that it's essentially – it's like we've ripped back the skin on the events industry, and now we're starting to understand what makes a real world event special because everyone has now been to at least one Zoom conference at this point. Yeah. I have emceed a number of Zoom conferences, and you get a very clear sense of the things that they're good at and the things that they just aren't. And one of the things that online conferences are bad for is serendipity. So when I saw you last time, I was in town for CES. Yeah. And it's funny that with 200,000 people, you'll meet a lot of people that you know, but that's kind of the point of CES, right? Is meeting new people, but also just running into someone that you haven't seen for a while and going and grabbing dinner with them. One of my colleagues in Australia, I remember I was at dinner with some startup folks in 
a restaurant in Las Vegas and he was sitting at the next table and we're both like, what are we doing here, right? So it's that kind of serendipity that people are not getting. And you know, you can't blame the technology companies for this because they did the best they could to give you the best quality disembodied experience. And it turns out one of the big reasons we go to events is to have the embodied experience. So, and so there's gonna be a real tension, but we do know and this is one of the things that we learned. So Microsoft moved its build conference online. The build conference normally gets about three or 4,000 people when they have it in the real world in Seattle. This year they had 60,000. Online. All right, online. And so there's this idea that for a certain kind of conference, online is now easier and better and works better at scale because they're trying to educate a massive number of technology developers or a Salesforce conference, trying to educate a massive number of Salesforce people. So those things, probably they've moved online for good. All right, you know, now it, I will- It's interesting yeah. uh, uh, because I do V notes, I call them now. So I'll do keynote speeches and I'll do educational programs at online conventions or brand meetings and things like that. And we've done a bunch of those this year. And, and I'll set up a, a room in my house with a curtain behind me and I'll simulate a convention stage when I do it. And, and I'll do it just like I would a real speech. I'm walking back and forth and I'm doing my thing. And then afterwards we'll open up questions and answers. And you're right, I feel that that connective tissue just doesn't get to the level that it would ever be interacting with the live room do you see technology ever solving that that essence of i guess the human dynamic okay so the answer is both no and yes let me let me give you the no first all okay. right because the no is because so much of that is about being embodied is actually being physically present and technology doesn't solve that problem it kicks the can on that problem on in the further horizon, there is another solution which comes into the category of augmented reality. I've just written a book about augmented reality and I didn't really cover this in the book. But with augmented reality, you should be able to put on your magic spectacles that you'll get from Apple or Facebook in a couple of years. And everyone who's in the conference with you should look basically as if they're there fully in 3D. And you'll be able to make eye contact with them. So you'll have that feeling of presence. Now, we don't have all of the technology for that, but seriously, by the end of this decade, we'll have that technology. Technology will be cheap. It'll be everywhere, similar to the way we're using webcams today, right? Will that give you 100% of the experience of being present in person? No. Will it be an 80-20 thing? Probably. I had this when I was on a Google campus last year. They had this device that had a camera on it and wheels. And if you were homesick, you could tell that device to go into George's office and it rolled into George's office and it sat across George's desk and it looked at you and you could have your meeting and then it would roll out of George's office and go, and I guess today you, you wouldn't have to have it roll around. You would just connect everywhere. But, but you know, it was fascinating and everybody who used it said that, you know, there wasn't awkwardness to it, even at Google and such. So it's interesting to hear you say this because when you think about the virtuality of it all, if you will, I read an article just the other day that, that said uh, in the year 2030, 70 to 80% of our lives will be virtual. Do you buy into that? Well, and, and, and again, this is one of the things that got revealed because we weren't allowed to associate is how much we actually value face-to-face -face and being able to hug someone or just look yeah. them in the eye. And there are no effective substitutes. And to think that by 30, 2030, we'll have we will have substitutes in the same way that a Zoom call is a substitute for me sitting across a desk from you, right? 
And, you know, we should note, I'm doing this from my home office in Sydney, because at this point in time, my government will not let me get on a plane and come to America. Right. right. I basically have to get a signed permission slip from the prime minister to do this. So this is the way we have to do this right now. Do you think so? That, Mark, yeah. I want to be deep with you for a second. Do you yeah. think that the next generation will have less of a desire for that human contact because they've been raised differently? So if the technology doesn't replace that, do we as a society start to reduce our need for it? So I think all you have to do is look at the number of high school students who are deeply freaking out now because they can't go into the class and they can't mm. be with their peers and with their teachers. And in fact, they didn't really because they had never lived in a world where we were just always physically present and there was no online. You and I are old enough to remember both right. worlds. Yeah. They've just been thrust all the way into the online world like, ugh. This isn't great. So it's given them actually a taste and a flavor for what it means that they never had before. And so that's actually, turns out that's one of the hidden silver linings here. It's uncomfortable to learn, but I think people won't forget it. Yeah, boy, I, you know, I think that's amazingly astute what you're saying. And we're seeing society voice that right now in their resistance to these stay-at-home orders and such. And look, you're down under, I'm up here, and we're experiencing exactly the same emotion <laughs> and other, yeah. other sides of the world. So that's powerful. So my next question, Mark, is digital currency scares the hell out of me. Yes. You know, I worry yes. about my money in a bank. I wonder what the hell does that even become? I mean, it's not money in a bank anymore. I worry about the trackability of it, and I find that, and I don't know if this is true in Australia as much, but I find that here in America, there's a real ignorance as to what's going on with digital currency, yeah. and, and you know, what are, are the serious impacts on us are going to be in just a few short years, so I really wanted to spend, if it's okay with you, most of our time sort of talking about that together, so... Can I just let you go and just give us a little history of digital currency and sort of where we're at today and then we'll talk about the future? Sure. Uh, John, I, I am obsessed with this topic right now. I think also because as a futurist, believe it or not, this is going to be the big topic this decade. It's not going to be, you know, are we doing virtual meetings or events? It's going to be what's happened to money. And of course, most people will have heard of Bitcoin, which was sort of the first true digital currency. And it was designed to be sort of anonymous, but it was certainly designed to be very decentralized so that everyone had a stake in making sure that all of the ledgers were adding up so that if you and I were transacting in Bitcoin, you'd be able to check to make sure that the money I was giving you was real money. And I would be able to check to make sure that you'd taken the money. And everyone else who's trading in Bitcoin could know, they wouldn't know our names, but they'd know us by our wallets, that there was money being moved around, all right? And so it's a consensus-based system for exchanging value, right? And that made Bitcoin quite an interesting, quite a new idea. There'd been other attempts. And it took a couple of years for people to really get their heads around it. And then as they did, of course, the price started to go up, but then there started to be a number of copycat systems. And the most important of the copycat systems is a system called Ethereum. So Ethereum comes, it's only about five or six years old. You can think of it as a digital currency similar to Bitcoin. And again, to, to make it clear, a digital currency isn't money that's sitting in a bank account because your bank is actually still holding money, maybe with the reserve bank or with whatever, but they're actually holding money that represents that entry in your account. Digital currency is just like the money, the bills in your wallet. So 
because it's digital, it's not stored in your physical wallet. It's probably stored in a wallet that's on your smartphone. Could be on your computer, but it's probably on your smartphone. And then when you go to your cafe or to your supermarket, you move the digital money from your smartphone into the cash register till, right? So it's just as if you were handing over money. And as happened to me in 2016, I had my house was broken into and my phone was stolen and I had Bitcoin on that phone. The Bitcoin wasn't worth very much at that point, but it's worth, I think I had about $5,000 at present value in Bitcoin today because my phone was stolen and my Bitcoin was on my phone. So it's just the same as having a cash robbery. So, so that's what makes digital so, cash different. So I would get paid digitally from my employer. I would get paid you, digitally, yeah. uh, even the IRS tax returns, all that stuff would be paid did to me digitally. So no, my digital account has credits in it of X amount of dollars or X amount of marks or whatever the heck it is. And then every transaction after that though, and this is where I start to get scared, Mark, every transaction is now recorded. I mean, I can't walk into a convenience store and buy a pack of gum for a dollar without somebody knowing what I bought, when I bought it, what flavor. They almost are going to know when I chew it. Yeah. So the thing is, if you do use a credit card, which most Americans will do, even for a yep. transaction that small, that information is already being recorded. So we want to put that in context. Now, the question about whether digital cash is being used to track every transaction, that's up to the designer of the digital cash. And what we wanna do is we wanna take a look at the current digital cash system that's being rolled out. There is one big digital cash system in the world right now. It is from the People's Bank of China. That's the Chinese Reserve Bank, all right? So the Federal Reserve of China. They've been rolling it out. They started rolling out very, very small amounts last year. But during the pandemic, while we all had our minds on other things, they've been rolling out and rolling it out. About 50 million Chinese are now using this digital currency electronic payments or DCEP money to pay for things. They reckon that by the time they host the Winter Olympics, which is February of 2022, that it will be rolled out across the country. And they also reckon that by around 2030, most of the paper banknotes in circulation will have been withdrawn. All right. So, so are, they the first, are they the first government to, to implement a digital currency program like that? They're the first major government. There have okay. been other little experiments, but in terms of going all in with the second largest economy in the world, yeah. here we are. Wow. Now, here's the thing. The DCEP has been specifically designed so that every transaction is recorded centrally at the People's Bank of China, which means your currency has just become a surveillance tool. Now, that is a design decision, John. That is something that they chose to build into the design. It is completely possible to design a digital currency that has that. Autonomy. stronger, yeah, stronger anonymity features built into it. So as we develop one in America, and the Federal Reserve has been working on this for a while, as we develop one here in Australia, we're doing one here. We don't need it for people to make payments because we have really good digital payments, but the banks are going to be using it to do their, their settlements. All right, because banks have to settle every night. Right, it's right. generally those systems are 50 years old. They run on mainframe computers. Yeah. So they're going to just sort of update it. Um, so, you can design those systems to have a lot more privacy than the Chinese do. But their overall strategy is not privacy, as we know from telecommunications and everything else they do. Here's my question to you, and, and what is behind the digital currency? Where is its absolute value? Right. And okay. if I did, let's yeah. say, have a million 
currency, blanks, whatever. A wi widgets. I got a million widgets, uh, a digital currency. How do I know it's going to be worth a million widgets when I wake up in the morning? And, you know, where is the value behind it? And how do I sleep at night knowing that my assets are real and, and that they can't be retaxed or diminished? Or I can't be told, no, John, you can't buy that kind of car. You got to buy this kind of car. Or where does that kind of uh, a comfort come from in a digital currency? And these are all really good questions that we need to be asking because the more that you have an answer to that question that isn't to your liking, the less this is actually cash and the more that it's actually basically like a script system where you're buying things at the company store using company script. And so we actually do. So for example, if I paid you in digital cash directly from my wallet to your wallet, there should be no other record of that transaction. And in fact, if you have a digital cash system, there's no need for having another record of that transaction, right? So there is no central bank authority that needs to know this. It's just something that happened privately. If you're buying a used car from me, again, now theoretically, if we pay in cash, I still have to declare that to the IRS. I can be taxed on the income of that. But again, with digital cash, <laughs> I can at least pretend that I might be able to do something that the IRS would be upset by because it's a cash transaction. And so these are the features that we need to, we need to basically keep a mental tick list of when someone's offering us digital cash, does it have all of those qualities? Because mm -hmm. if it doesn't, then it's not cash. Someone's trying to sell you something that they're calling cash. Right. And this is, again, this is going to be a big tug of war over this next decade around all of this and, and where this goes. Now, do you see the currency the, yeah. being regulated by the Chinese as to what you can do with it, what you can't? Do you think that's in their design at some point? 100%. I think that if you are, for instance, they have the social credit system where if you basically get in Dutch because you owe people money or maybe the Communist Party just doesn't like you, you end up on their prescribed list. And that actually limits the kinds of things you can rent a house or put your pay for your kids schooling or whatever it is it constricts your financial options and i can see them being able to do that literally with the money that's yeah. being issued to you and so this actually presents a much greater zone of control for them they can also pull money out of your account very easily right if they wanted to in theory cause you to pay a debt. in theory yeah. cause you to pay a debt in theory right Virtual court, virtual judgment, virtual pull it out of the account, and it, it happens all in hours. And they're saying, and theoretically, uh, with that type yeah. of access, that would happen. So as one who really knows so much about this, Mark, and I so respect your work in this arena, when you look at the large countries, my, ourselves here in America, Australia, uh, 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 um, what kind of strategies? I'm sure you're in this. So is America taking a strategy of finding more information through their uh, digital currency approach, do you think, or less? Do you think that the large governments are looking to impede our privacy in this approach? What do you feel? So, so last this all sort of kicked off because last year, Facebook announced their own private digital currency, something called Libra. Yeah. And when the central bankers who met at Jackson Hole, right, which happened just after they made the announcement, the central bankers were like, uh-uh, uh-uh. The central bankers, in some sense, want to keep a monopoly on being able to mint money, right? Because this is how they control the economy in the sense of by regulating the money supply. But the other thing they realized was having an unregulated, completely unregulated, or privatized form of money running around the world means that Facebook can then track everyone's transactions. And Facebook, mm. is, is, Facebook is notoriously fast and loose with privacy. Yep. So there are a whole bunch of issues there that also need to be sorted. But this was the starting gun. And so 
China, which had been working on the DCEP for a while, suddenly went public and said clearly, well, this is because Facebook had announced this. And so now there's a real pile on for all of the major economies in the world to present some work in progress around digital currency. So the EU um, has issued position papers, the Swiss government has as well, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore Monetary Authority, Australia, all of these major trading nations, Japan, have all got projects in play now that will move towards some form of a digital currency. Why do we want to use it? One of the big reasons is because it should theoretically decrease the friction in moving money around. Now, there are reasons why we don't allow people to move large amounts of money around the world, right? Sure. Because it finances terrorism, terrorism such, yep. or it's or it's being used to launder profits or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But for smaller amounts of money, well, this is why PayPal exists because there was no infrastructure for that. And PayPal's built a very good business out of that. PayPal, interestingly, in the US just launched that you can buy and sell and trade in Bitcoin and three other currencies. This is a step that PayPal wouldn't even have thought wow, of doing just ago. two years ago because they were very anti-crypto, but now they realize that with all of these state digital currencies coming, they need to build the internal infrastructure and the regulatory connections to make wow. all of that work. So this is in essence, an unavoidable evolution. At some point, we are all gonna be dealing in digital cash. At some point, these systems are gonna be in place. You know, in America, we have uh, uh, the federal deposit protection right which which regulates bank activities and protects yeah. my assets in a bank there's no regulation on any of this right now is there at this point so, so if you park and you will be able to park your digital cash in the bank rather than in the wallet on your phone and then it will still be covered because remember a digital dollar is still a US dollar it is still issued by the Federal Reserve it's still backed by the full faith and credit of the United States right so it's still a dollar in the same sense that a dollar bill is a dollar Right. So if you park that in the bank, you are covered by FDIC here. It would be APRA, different organization, mm -hmm. but same function. Right. And so you'd have the same protections. If you have it in your wallet at home, you'll probably be able to buy insurance <laughs> for your wallet, which will say, OK, we'll give you this policy, but you'll only use from this list of approved wallets. Mm. Right. And if you do that, then we will insure you for X dollars a year so that if your phone gets stolen, you don't actually lose the digital cash. But I think, John, the thing that's becoming clearer to me is that digital cash, it's not really about us. And, and let me let me explain what I mean by this. I'm going to give you two examples. And the more I think about this, the more it blows my mind. And I just want to blow your mind and your listeners minds a little bit. So let's say you bought a Tesla. All right. And the Tesla, because money is now digital, the Tesla comes installed with a digital wallet from the factory, all right? And you know, you throw some money in it, and then when you're blazing through the tolls, the car is paying the tolls. For itself. You don't need some fancy sticker in the car. The car is literally paying the tolls itself. Then you go home and you plug it in, and it's a particularly hot day, and the grid needs lots of electricity. And so during the daytime, the grid is buying electricity from your car and wow. paying your car for it. And then at night, your car is getting electricity off the grid and it's paying the grid for it. So it's debits and credits going back and forth between that wallet for the yeah. sharing of the energy when needed and then the buying of the energy. Also, I'm guessing you'd buy energy at off-peak hours and, and, yes. and all that kind of stuff would happen as well. So, yeah. so, so your, I could say to my Tesla- electricity arbitrage. I could say to my uh, a Tesla, go down to the gas station, get yourself some gas. 
and come back and, uh, or plug in. I'm sorry, I wouldn't be getting gas, but but wow, so all of these entities become their own wallets then. And this is why the 2020s are going to be so much weirder than we even thought. Let me give you the second example. Okay. All right. So one of the things that's happened over the last sort of 15 years is that dairies have become fairly highly automated, right? There's a little Bluetooth tag on the cow. The cow yep. walks into the dairy barn. It knows who it is, sets it up. The cow gets milked. It all happens by robot. The cow sits there and munches. And the first thing that we learned when we did this was that cows like to get milked a lot more than twice a day. In fact, cows have been uncomfortable for the last 5,000 years, but no one knew how to ask them. Because wow. getting milked in the morning and in the evening isn't quite enough for a cow. So when a cow can just wander into a barn and get milked, it'll go three to four times a day and you get happier cows. We've already seen And more this. milk. And more milk because happier cows. <laughs> now, here's the thing. What we're probably also going to do is we're probably going to give the cow a wallet. So when the cow walks into the barn, it's going to pay for the feed it's eating and it's going to get paid for the milk that it's providing. So each cow becomes its own profit center, if you will. And it's right, tracked exactly. as its own individual business almost by the performance within the wallet. And then, right. then you're going to laugh. So then flatulence will become a deduction, exactly. right? No, no <laughs> Which sir, is where we're going. abatement. <laughs> <laughs> There's my carbon abatement. That's what I'm saying. So the 2020s are going to get very weird because all of this stuff gets really easy once you have a digital currency. So it's not so much yeah. about you and I moving money around. Everything else. It's about everything else in the yeah. connected world moving wow. money around. Okay, Mark, so, so uh, uh, when you think about all this, there's a lot of excitement here. I mean, this is really cool stuff in very many ways. What are the concerns you have? Really just privacy concerns? Oh, okay, no. <laughs> privacy is a very top-level thing, and you're absolutely right. There's another whole thing that we haven't touched yet. You, you and your listeners should Google a term DeFi, D-E-F-I, capital D, capital okay. F. It stands for decentralized finance, all right? So we have Bitcoin and all these other digital currencies, but then there's also Ethereum, which is kind of like that, but it's got computer code built into it. So this is money that thinks, all right? Why would you want money that thinks? Because money that thinks can move itself from one investment to another without your intervention so that it's always getting the highest yield for you. Wow. <laughs> all right. That Good. Say goodbye exists. to your stockbroker. Say goodbye to your stockbroker in essence. Or your stockbroker is helping you to predict, uh, to, to choose the program that's running on right. your money so on that your you're getting the best yields, wow. right? So, wow. so that's happening. People are now building somewhat sophisticated financial instruments in DeFi. And here's the thing, that sounds like a great idea. I want you to think now, reflecting on my 40 years as starting as a computer engineer and programmer, that programs always have bugs in them. And that means that your money is going to have, have bugs a bug in, in it. it. Wow. <laughs> right? And that means that you could lose your money suddenly because there was an unexplored bug or someone hacked into something and found a hole that they weren't, and, and, and this has already happened. There have been hacks to the tunes of 50 to 100 to $250 million within the last few months because of these insecure DeFi instruments. So at the same time that we're getting this wonderful digital currency and all that's happening, we're gonna get this new generation of bizarre, smart, like financial instruments that are thinking for themselves and money that's thinking for itself, but all of it, designed by programmers who, because all of this is very new, have had very little practice in designing these, and we really don't know that much yet about how right. to make them safe. 
then smart people will break through somehow. And, then, and that opportunity exists until we perfect it, which with credit card transactions, we've gotten a lot better, but still we're not there even with credit card transactions yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's now, a credit card transactions, billions of dollars a year in fraud and chargebacks, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is, it's uh, going to be a process, but that process is going to be replicated at scale because again, you're going to have all of these wallets and all of this, all of the money in all of these wallets will probably be smart yeah. and thinking about itself and running around and doing the things. So the cow's money is maybe running around and doing a, a lap through your Tesla because it's getting good yield on your yeah. Tesla and then yeah. running back to the cow. You know, it's interesting though, if, if you put the right AI package on your wallet and the money moves to the right investments, and you get the right credits for the energy contributions and sharing. And, you know, it, there seems to be a positive side because when I listen, I talk to you, I keep saying to myself, what the hell is going to happen to my retirement? But the fact of the matter is that a lot of these systems should protect my retirement and give me a better yield on that retirement than that savings in theory. That is the theory. The right. practice is what we're going to spend the next decade working very hard theory, on. Yeah. And, and part of... Part of what I do now as just part of my professional practice is I've also the, the cryptocurrency community, which now includes all of these state currencies, is now working with the regulators. So there is essentially, I want you to think of them as almost the Illuminati of the financial regulators. Yeah. They're the Financial Activities Task Force or the FATF. They're a, a, a spinoff of the G20, and they were started after 9-11 to prevent those kinds of financial activities from taking place. And so they gotcha. have- Basically, they don't pass laws. What they do is they make recommendations. And then if you want to stay on the good list, you pass those recommendations into your own national laws. For example, Iran and North Korea are not on the good list. Right. <laughs> and so they right. can't trade in the open markets because other countries aren't allowed to because they do obey these regulations. And so we're starting to see those same regulations now in cryptocurrencies. That's one reason why PayPal was able to trade in Bitcoin because there's now regulatory safety bars around it. And, a history. and so for all of this, we're gonna now start to see not just the FATF, but the SEC and the other securities regulators around the world will now need to start to, to provide guidance on the kinds of financial shenanigans you're allowed to do and the yeah. kinds that are bad. So question, you're going to like this question. I bet I'm going to ask you a question that you've never been asked before. Would you put all your money right now into digital currency? No. <laughs> is, there, is there a percentage of your money that you would put in digital currency to play oh. with? or or? I, I, so I, I have what I, I call my risk capital. Mm -hmm. I, my risk capital is fully invested in in digital currency, specifically in dis, uh, decentralized finance. Um, partly, but, but there's a rule of thumb here, which is the Buffett rule, which is you don't invest in something you don't understand. understand. Exactly right? right. And because I understand DeFi, or at least enough to go, okay, this is a product that I understand what it's doing, so therefore I can invest in it, then I'm happy to do that. Yeah. If people feel like they, they can invest in another thing, a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, because they think they understand it, then they should do that. But if they're just doing it because they're following the crowd, that's where you start to get danger signs. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. It's it's exciting to see now how uh, uh, digital currency and artificial intelligence, how all these things merge to create this intelligent wallet, if you will, that moves to protect your money and I guess protect society's interests sort of at the same time. And if they find with the credits back and forth for energy and such, if they find the right balance, 
where society benefits from this and my money benefits from this and they really manage this right to a win-win, this winds up being a wonderful story. If they don't manage it well, then it winds up being an ugly story. But it really comes down to the way they execute at this point because the premises all exist. Is that fair? Yes, but I mean, the, the future is going to be a mix of both. It's right. going to be a mix of the wonderful and the horrible because yeah. that's that's the world we live in. Yeah. That's okay. What we want to do is be as aware as we can be of what the downsides could be so that we can work to avoid baking them in. Yeah. You know, I'm, I am very concerned about the DCEP, not just in China, but China has enormous economic weight through its sphere of influence through the Belt and yep. Road Initiative. And they may simply request that all of their partner states trade with them. And in leverage DCEP. people into it and leverage people. I, I told that's the first thing I thought of when you told me about it. And then when you think about the Olympics and all the commerce around the Olympics, that's a great opportunity to begin leveraging. So I'm with you. I was thinking about that all. You know, this is an amazing topic, Mark. We could talk about this all day. Where can people find you to stay educated on this and stay up on this? So I have a podcast called The Next Billion Seconds. It's on Podcast One, both in Australia and in America. Yep. So, and we do a regular series in that called Cryptonomics. And starting in January, we'll be doing a three-part series specifically on the topic of these digital currencies, going deep into them. Wow. So I'll be listening to that. So if we listen to that, I'll learn about digital currency. I'll learn how to use it. And you'll give me some predictability as to where you think it's going to go. We, we, as best we, you can. We try. Yeah, we try not to offer financial advice because, again, we'd get in touch with the regulators sure. if we did that. But what we try to do is give you the best tools for thinking about it so that you can make good decisions. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, buddy, it's been wonderful to, to see you again and to talk. And it's amazing that you're sitting in Sydney. One of my favorite cities years ago, I worked on, a, on the Park Hyatt in Sydney and, oh, yeah. and opened that hotel. I'm showing my age. I'm going to guess it was around 1990 or so. Yeah, right uh, on the park. Absolutely. And I've spent a, a lot of time there over the years. It's wonderful to talk to you. You know, this is exciting and scary at the same time. But one thing I've learned from this discussion is we all need to watch this. We need to be aware of what's going on. We need to understand the approach that our governments and, and these digital currency companies are taking with regard to transaction monitoring and privacy and all of these elements. And, you know, we've all learned about a bank and depositing money and taking money out and doing transactions on our credit cards. We have to learn about this too. And yes. I'm guessing the ones that don't are the ones that are going to lose in the end and make some mistakes. So this yes. has been a great education for us all, buddy. So, so go back to your coffee. You know, I love you. It's wonderful. Let's do this again in a few months because I think it's important that we all stay updated if you don't mind. Uh, I'd love oh, no, to have I'd you back delighted. in a few months. I'd be delighted. The space is exploding. There will be a lot to talk about. Yeah, certainly for sure, Mark. To, uh, be well, my friend. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And I look Thank forward you. to speaking soon. You too. Stay safe. You too, buddy. Wow. Thank you, Mark. We'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Imagine you having your car with its own wallet. <laughs> yeah. So you even today, you pull it into a gas station. If you want to get gas, I'm just mm -hmm. using gas as a term. And the car just sort of digitally pays for itself. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, I guess. <laughs> so you plug it in, you pay for the electricity. At the end of the night, if you got some extra power, you get paid back for the electricity it takes out. Wow. And then it puts the electricity back at prime time. And, <laughs> well, I never thought of it in that kind of a way. Yeah. 
So, so I guess years from now, Corey, you could have eight or 10 digital wallets, a digital wallet in your truck, a digital wallet in your pocket, a digital wallet on your phone, a digital wallet at home, a digital, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then all of those digital wallets would be monitored electronically. So I understand big transactions, like Mark said, are monitored, of course, because of terrorism. And I can't, you just go move a million dollars, you know, across the country anymore like you could years ago and stuff. People watch those things. But all these tiny transactions and, wow, does it scare you? It does, but I feel like, you know, there's always just going to be something. So yeah. either you, you jump on the wave or you get lost in the, in the sea. Yeah. But the one thing that protects us is knowledge. And that's why I wanted to have this podcast today and talk about this topic. So listen, guys, this is not something that's insignificant. You should just blow away. So check out Mark's website. Check out his podcast. Stay informed on this. This is your money, man. This is your retirement. This is your future. It has to protect its value. You have to know what's happening, and we are all certainly entitled to some privacy. So keep an eye on this digital currency, and and let's keep an eye on each other because, you know, Corey, the holidays are coming. They are, they are. And, and I got boxes already that are gift wrapped <laughs> from family, and I got boxes going out that are gift wrapped. And, you know, I'm excited about the gifts that are coming in. I can't wait to open them, and I can't wait for my family and friends to open the gifts that I've sent out. And we're sending out all the corporate gifts, and I signed all the corporate cards. And, you know, I'm not going to see as many people this Christmas. But it doesn't mean I can't touch as many people this Christmas. Ah, I like that, John. And I don't say touch in a physical sense, right. obviously. But I can still call friends that I haven't spoken to in years. I can still send gifts and even digital cards. And there's so many opportunities we have together to make the next few weeks feel a little better than the last few weeks felt. And, you know, I feel we've been through a tough election. It's not even freaking over yet. You know, I feel that there's going to be more bickering in courts and all this stuff the next few weeks. I feel that the, the pandemic is terrible right now. Hospitals are full. I mean, we have so much to be depressed about. But it is ending. And the vaccine starts literally in a matter of a week, 10 days or so. And we do see light at the end of the tunnel with two more vaccines just a couple of weeks away as well. So if there's a way that you can touch some more people and add a little, boy, am I going to be corny, Corey, a little good <laughs> cheer to the holiday season, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a bunch of friends I haven't spoken to in a while, reach out to family, and I'm going to try to create something special this year out of a pile of shit, to tell you the truth, yeah. which is what we're all dealing with. So... Let's go to it. Let's buy some gifts. Let's send some cards. Let's make some phone calls. Let's make this holiday season worth remembering in a positive way. So at least there's one thing that can be good in 2020. So I'll talk to you all next week. Watch out for your digital currency. Watch out for Christmas. Watch out for each other. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the John Tapper Podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.